0: What I'm going to be sharing this morning is on the blood covenant. The word blood scares people. And I've titled this Father God's Blood Covenant with and for people. His cost, our benefit. What Bob shared earlier is, is so true that before there was any sinner, we had a Savior. Uh, God sees the ending from before the beginning. God has foreknowledge. Uh, God knows what's going to happen, and in God's mind, Jesus was already sacrificed from before the sound, before the foundation of the world. And the reason that we're teaching these things, uh, if you have a Bible and want to turn there, you can. You don't have to. But Colossians chapter one verses twenty-eight through twenty-nine. Uh, This is the beginning of a lengthy series that we're going to be sharing uh, together um, over the next few weeks about who we are in Christ. Uh, Some people call it in Him realities, in Him truths, uh, that we have a position. My position is not in Adam. I was born in Adam. All of us were born in Adam But we've been born again in Christ. We have a new position. The Bible says we are seated together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And to understand that is fundamental to our health, the health of our walk in the Lord. Because we have an adversary who who torments us and lies to us. And so to understand our position in Christ is really fundamental Uh, to our spiritual health but this is the reason why we're teaching these things these two verses in Colossians chapter one right at the end of the uh, first chapter verses 28 and 29 I'm I'm reading from the English standard version we proclaim Christ warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom why that we may present everyone mature in Christ God's plan is that every believer grow up. God's plan is that we all come to maturity. Now, maturity doesn't mean that we know everything. Maturity means that we know how to relate, that we know how to navigate life, we know how to navigate relationships, and that we know how to hear God and obey him. He said, We're doing this. He said, That we may present everyone mature in Christ. And then, verse 29, he said, For this I toil. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. That word, struggling in the Greek, is the word agonizamahi. You get the word agonize? In other words, ministry is hard work. Uh, in other words, there. We are to sacrifice, and everybody's involved in ministry. Uh, It's not just those who have, we don't use titles here, but it's not just those who have positions. In other words, there's sacrifice involved with helping people. And so Paul lays that out, and that's why we're doing this, because we really want to see everyone uh, mature. We want to present everyone mature in Christ. Now, blood covenant. Blood is offensive, to the carnal natural mind and uh, many modern translations have removed many of the passages of scripture that deal with blood Uh, but a bloodless, they say a bloodless religion, well a bloodless religion is nothing but religion because the scripture says in Hebrews 9.22 it specifically says it but it's demonstrated throughout the scriptures but Hebrews 9.22 says Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. I mean, Jesus' blood was shed, but before Jesus' blood was shed, on the day of atonement in the Old Testament, thousands and thousands and thousands of lambs were slain just to cover the sins of the people. But Jesus was God's last sacrifice. Jesus not just covers our sin. He casts our sin as far as, as far as the east is from the west. And so the blood is necessary. And so the, the, the uh, covenant is binding. Uh, in other words, it's not just a casual thing. God establishes covenant. It's binding. It's based on relationship. And it's always a matter of the heart. Uh, a covenant is much stronger than a contract. God established a covenant, he did not establish a contract. A contract's intent is to secure limited liability for the parties in the contract. Now just think about that. A contract establishes limited liability for those parties in the contract. But a covenant is to ensure unlimited responsibility from the one who initiated the covenant for the ones he covenants with. I want to repeat that. A covenant is to, un- is to ensure unlimited responsibility from the one. That's from God. He's the establisher of the covenant. He's ensuring unlimited responsibility from himself the initiator of the covenant, for us, the ones he covenants with. So he goes the extra mile. He's ensuring unlimited responsibility. He's putting it on himself. He's the keeper of covenant. Our Father God, he is the great initiator. He's the establisher. He is the guarantor of his covenant with people. So it's, it's not a shaky thing, it's a sure thing. God established a covenant, and this covenant was established before we were ever born. Now next week, we're going to look at the principle of covenant heads. You know, we're aware of generational curses. Uh, you know, actually, we, if you come right down to it, the um, uh, genetic, physical illness, illnesses that are passed on from one generation to another, Well, God is not the originator of generational curses. God is the originator of generational blessing from one generation to another. And that's what it means to be in Christ. God sees us in Christ. And so the covenant heads, we're going to see that. But we'll see it this morning in that God entered into covenant with Jesus Christ for Abraham and his offspring. They were the covenant heads, and we get the benefit of it. Now, if you can put the first slide up. The Hebrew word for covenant is barith, and this word means to cut until blood flows. It's a covenant in which the covenanter gives, sacrifices, and pays the price for the benefits of those for whom the covenant is established. So God is the one who gives, he sacrifices, he pays the price for our benefit he does this in carefully defined promises and oaths now here we're describing not a man-made covenant but God's covenant originated by him and carried out in his wisdom ability and purpose he accomplished it because he desired and chose to do it he was not obligated or forced to do it he did it of his own volition and now the next line. The Greek word for covenant is diatheke, and it literally means an unequal covenant. And this is from the perspective of the covenanter, God Himself. The unequal nature of diatheke is that a covenant which the covenanter does—excuse me—it's a covenant in which the covenanter does all of the giving, and the other does all the receiving. So God does all the giving. We do all the receiving. This word describes the covenant that God, on his own initiative, entered into with us. He had nothing to receive from us. We were empty and undone. He had nothing to, We had nothing to give to God but our empty lives. And what could be our response but to receive? And then if you need to go to the next slide, you can go. This is so powerful. When two individuals entered into covenant with each other, it's a mutual sharing of all assets and talents, debts, and liabilities. If I'm going to enter into covenant with, with Mickey, then I assume all of his assets and talents. He assumes all of my assets and talents. I assume all of his debts and liabilities. He assumes all of my debts and liabilities. But we're talking about a covenant with God. God entered into covenant with humans through Jesus Christ. So when he entered into covenant with us, I had to take all of God's debts and liabilities. He had none. But he took all of my debts and liabilities. And that's all I had. I didn't have any assets and talents. When God entered into covenant with me, he took all of my assets and talents. I had none. But I also take all of his And he has an abundance. Uh, And throughout the scriptures, especially the New Testament, Jesus Christ is our righteousness. He is our redemption. Uh, There's so many things that it talks about. I'm not left to myself. We have supernatural ability in Jesus Christ. He gives us his spirit. And it's by his spirit that we do the things that we do. That's because of covenant. So this is the nature of covenant. God is a great giver, and we need to learn how to receive. Uh, I want you to look with me. Uh, we're going to spend the next while in the 15th chapter of Genesis, Genesis chapter 15. God had dealt with Abraham in the 12th chapter when he called him out of Haran and um or Ur, excuse me, Her, Her Ur of Chaldea. I think he's in Haran in the fifteenth chapter. And God had said in the twelfth chapter, He said, I want you to leave everything. I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave your father's house. I want you to go to a land that I will show you. He said, I'm gonna bless you, I'm gonna make your name great. That's not ego. God wants to bless us, and he wants to. Uh, He wants us to be people that are known, not for ego's sake, but so that others can receive the great God who has put so much into us. He said, I'm going to bless you, and you will be a great blessing. And he says, I will bless everybody that blesses you, and I'll curse everybody that curses you. And he said, all families of the earth are going to be blessed because of you. And the most amazing thing is that in Genesis 12, it says that Abraham left even as God said. In Hebrews 11, uh, I think chapter chapter 11, verse 8, says that Abraham went out even though he did not know where he was going. That's why the New Testament calls Abraham the father of the faith, the father of us all. That Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness, as we'll see here. Abraham was imperfect, you know that. Between 12 and 15, he he messed up big time. But God had established a covenant. And he's confirming the covenant here in the 15th and in the 17th chapter. But let's begin with verse 1. I'll read it uh, through verse 18 and then we'll make commentary. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram. Now God changed Abram's name to Abraham later. And we'll talk about that next week. And it was a significant change. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, now if you're timid about praying, listen to how Abraham talks to God. Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me? (laughs) Now God's speaking to him. Don't be afraid. I'm your shield. I'm your exceedingly great reward. And Abram says, what are you going to give me, seeing that I go childless? And the heir of my house is this, Eliezer of Damascus. Doesn't speak highly of Eliezer, don't know anything about him. Verse 3, then Abram said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, this one will not be your heir, but the one who will come from your own body will be your heir abraham is 75 years old god said the one who will come from your own body that means i'm going to have a baby if god's making me this promise two more years and abraham you know he waited he waited 24 years 99 he was 99 when isaac was born what a man anyway Verse 5, then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars. If you're able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And he, Abram, believed the Lord. And he accounted it to him for righteousness. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. And Abram asked a question. He said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? He's bold. He's audacious. God says, I'm the one that brought you out of Ur to give you this land to inherit it. And Abram said, how do I know that I'm going to inherit it? God's answer. So he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. We'll talk about that in a minute. And Abraham's response, he goes and he brings all of those to Father God and he cuts them in two down the middle and he placed each piece opposite the other. But he did not cut the birds in two. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Then he said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs. This is God prophesying to him about 400 years of captivity in Egypt. And will serve them, and they will afflict them for 400 years. And also the nation whom they will serve, I will judge, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and shall be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete." And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark that behold, there appeared a smoking oven or furnace and a burning torch or lamp that passed between those pieces. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants, I have given this land. Now, God speaks end results. He didn't say to your descendants, I'm going to give this land. He said to your descendants, I give this land. Romans 4 brings out a principle about God and it's supposed to be a principle in our lives. God speaks of things that don't exist as though they did exist. Or God calls things that are not as though they were. And, and that, that's just an amazing. God lives in a different realm, and he's brought us into his realm. That's the amazing thing. God has brought us into his realm, into his family. Now, I want to make some commentary on this. First of all, in verse 1, God spoke to Abram and says, Don't be afraid. I am your shield. I am your exceedingly great reward. We'll talk about this more next week in a covenant between David and Jonathan. In covenant, God establishing covenant, God gives himself first. That's repeated in the 8th chapter of Romans, verse 32. It says, God who did not spare his own son, but freely gave him for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us All good things. God gives himself first. Jesus gave himself first. And and the the provision that comes in Christ comes after Jesus gives himself. So he tells Abram, don't you be afraid. I'm your shield. I'm your protection. He also calls himself his shield. Or David said, God, you're my shield. You're the glory and the lifter of my head. God's our protection, our shield. He said, I'm your shield and I'm your exceedingly great reward. Verse 4, God says to him, this one will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body. God gives audacious promises. Like I said, Abram was 75 years old when God said this to him. Then verse 5, then God took him outside and he said, look now toward heaven At the stars, if you're able to number them, so shall your seed be. God wasn't telling him you're going to have as many children as there are stars. He was saying just like it's impossible to number the stars, it's going to be impossible to number the children that are going to come forth from you. Now the astonishing thing is that God was not just talking about the Jewish race, the natural seed of Abraham, he was talking about the spiritual offspring of Abraham, those who would be in Christ that we will look at in the third chapter of Galatians a little bit later. Because Abraham is the father of us all. Not naturally speaking, but spiritually speaking. And so, he said, just like you can't number the stars, you're not going to be able to count the number of children you're going to have. In verse 6, "...he believed the Lord and accounted him for righteousness." There are three places in the New Testament that it talks about the righteousness of faith. That Abraham was not declared righteous because of the law, but it was the righteousness of faith. And it's simply this, when I believe God in relation to what he's saying in covenant, when I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and I'm saved, then I'm brought into right standing. Righteousness means right standing. I can give you thousands of reasons why I don't deserve right standing with God. I was ugly, ugly. I was born ugly, born in sin. A plague has plagued the human race that can only be fixed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And my sin manifested abundantly in so many perverse ways. So there was nothing about me that deserved right standing with the creator of the universe. But he saved me. At the, at the age of 22, the Bible says if any person is in Christ he is a new creation all things have passed away all things have become new and if it goes further down in second Corinthians 5 it says we are the righteousness of God in Christ we're not righteous in our own works we're righteous because it's been imputed to us it's been given to us as a gift Abram was declared righteous The amazing thing here is that God is is not only talking. Well, I I just said that a minute ago. Abram believed what God said as staggering as it was. And actually Romans 4 says that Abraham did not stagger at the promise of God through unbelief. But he was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Now verses 7 and 8. I love this. God God just says in a few words all that Abraham needs to know. He said, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. God is saying, I, the Lord, am the one who brought you this far. Just trust me. Just trust me. We find ourselves in a pickle. We find ourselves in situation. We find ourselves with our backs to the wall. We find ourselves in situations we just don't see any way out. And if we would just listen, the Lord would say, I'm the Lord that brought you out of whatever he brought us out of to this place. Just keep trusting. Just keep trusting. In verse 8, and Abram says, "How shall I know that I will inherit it?" You would think that Abram would say, "God, because you said I'll inherit, I'll inherit." But Abram asks a question. He's audacious. How shall I know? How do I know? Simple question. How will I know that I will inherit?" And God gives a simple answer that we don't understand, because we don't understand covenant. What's God's answer? Abram says, how do I know I'm going to inherit? God says, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Well, that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? (laughs) Not Not to a mind that doesn't understand covenant. Simple response of Abraham in verse 10. He brought all of these to him. He knew God was speaking covenant. He not only brought all of them, but he cut the animals down the middle. And he put half here and half here. He did not split the birds. The birds came and they tried to eat the meat. This was the meat of the covenant where blood had been spilt. God leaves a part for us to play. Birds are often, through the scriptures, a type of our adversary. And it's our responsibility to be submitted to God to resist the devil and he will flee from us. So Abram split the animals, made a passageway between them. Abram knew that God was speaking covenant because in ancient times, when people entered into covenant, two people entering into covenant, they would lock arms and they would walk between the covenant meat and they would speak the terms of the covenant. Because you're in covenant with me, you will have this. Because you're in covenant with me, I guarantee you this. And there will be a mutual sharing of hearts and lives, of selves and possessions. So this is God entering into covenant with Abram. Verse 12. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. What's happening here? God had to to put Abram to sleep and provide a substitute for him. A holy God, hear this, a holy God who dwells in unapproachable light cannot enter into covenant with sinful humans there has to be a substitute there has to be a substitute that's why the high priest on the day of atonement year after year he had to go in with the blood of bulls and goats the blood of bulls and goats were a substitute for the people of israel but jesus was the final substitute he was sacrificed and here God puts Abram to sleep because he cannot enter enter into covenant directly with a sinful human. There has to be a substitute. Verses 17 and 18. It came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark, that behold there appeared a smoking oven or furnace and a burning torch or lamp that passed between those pieces. So you don't see God the Father and Abraham walking between the pieces. You see a burning furnace, excuse me, a, 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 a smoking furnace and a burning lamp. It says, on the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, to your descendants I have given this land. What is the smoking furnace? Hebrews 12, 29, our God is a consuming fire. That's God the Father. He's one of the covenants. And what about a burning lamp? The word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Psalm 119, 105. Jesus is the word made flesh. Jesus was the substitute and was the other covenanter that God provided for sinful Abram. God the Father and God the Word, Jesus, entered into covenant with each other for Abraham and his descendants, both natural natural. And spiritual. God entered into covenant. God the Father and God the Son. Entered into covenant. With each other. For Abraham and for us. All the way back in Genesis chapter 15. And it was fulfilled when Jesus was sacrificed. On the cross. Now let's go to Galatians chapter 3. This is such a powerful. We have to understand. My identity. Is not. A. Uh, Born in Tennessee, my identity is not white man. My identity is I am in Christ. And we've got a world that has gone crazy about all sorts of wrong identity. And this verse, these verses lay it out. Galatians 3 beginning with verse 16. Now to Abraham and his seed. Notice it's a capital S if you're looking at the New King James. But other translations as well. Some say descendant. Others say offspring. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. Why is it capitalized? The next part says it. He does not say and to seeds as of many. But as of one and to your seed who is Christ. So the promises were made to Abraham and to Jesus. Then verse 26, "For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus." Let, let, me, let me deal with the gender issue. Did you know in the New Testament, every believer is called a son, and the whole body of Christ is called a bride? <laughs> I'm part of the bride of Christ. I'm not I, How can a male be bride? Because that's the way God sees me. We're all sons of God. There's no reference. The only reference in the New Testament to daughters is quoting Old Testament. But we all come into sonship in the New Testament. We're sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And we're all part of the bride of Christ. For you're all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ... Have put on Christ. Baptizing the Christ is not even talking about being immersed in water. It's talking about the Holy Spirit taking us when we're born again. And placing us into Jesus Christ. Our new position. My position is I am in Christ. That's my position. I am in Christ. Listen to verse 26. In Christ there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. We could also say there's neither black nor white. There's neither Asian uh, nor whatever else. We're all in Christ. That's my identity. Uh, It's been said this way. There's, there's There's only two races, saved and lost, We all have equality in Jesus Christ. Now listen to verse 29. If you belong to Christ, can I see your hand if you belong to Christ? Then you too are Abraham's seed, Abraham's offspring, Abraham's descendant, and heirs according to the promise. And so this covenant that God entered into with Abraham all the way back in Genesis chapter 15 and all the promises of God because we are in Christ, we are heirs according to the promise. We have a rich inheritance. We are righteous. He has provided us forgiveness. He has provided us healing. He has provided us righteousness. One of his his redemptive names in the Old Testament is Jehovah Sidkenu which is The God, our righteousness. Uh, We sang about uh, our our champion. Uh, One of his names means Jehovah, our captain, or our banner, or our victor. In other words, we're, we're not poor, little, lost sinners saved by grace. We used to be sinners, and we have been saved by grace, but we've been brought into right standing with God. Now, we're going to take the rest of our time today. If you'll go with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17, and we're going to look at a segment of David's life. David understood covenant. David knew God, and he knew his covenant. This is a a Bible story that... uh, it's a true story. <laughs> it, it it amazes me how people just you know sweep away the Bible and, and say that you know that's that's not accurate. David didn't really kill Goliath. Jesus didn't really walk on water. Uh, the children of Israel, the red the Red Sea was not really split. Adam and Eve just uh, just a uh, fairy tale. Well, I tell you, it's easier for me to believe that an intelligent God would create people than it is for me to believe that I, you know, emerged over time, evolved from tadpoles. I just can't swallow that. It takes a whole lot more faith to believe that. It takes blind faith to believe that. It takes enlightened faith to to believe what the Bible says. So 1 Samuel chapter 17. I'm going to tell part of this and not read the whole chapter. We have a situation here. I want to I read verse 1, though, because this gives us the whole key to the thing. But because Saul was an ungodly king, and he was leading the children of Israel, he didn't know this. Verse 1, The Philistines Philistines, gathered their armies together to battle and were gathered at Soko which belongs to Judah. So they were contending for territory that already belonged to them. And we're going to see that because Goliath was so big, they allowed the tormenting 80 times over 40 days of Goliath to spook them so much they didn't trust their God who had given them this land. And so what we've got is on one mountain, you've got the Israelites on the other mountain, you've got the Philistines. And so every day they would send out Goliath, the Philistines would. Verse 4, a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath. In his height with six cubits and a span, nine feet, nine inches tall. He would wreak havoc in the NBA. (laughs) Nine feet, nine inches, that's a tall dude. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail or armament. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze, which was 125 pounds. Verse 7, the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his iron spear head weighed 600 shekels, 15 pounds. And it says that a shield bearer went before him. That's significant. It'll come out again in a minute. A shield bearer went before him. Then he stood and he cried out. Listen to what he says. He stood and he cried out to the armies of Israel. And he said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. He said, You're servants of Saul. That will come in significant in a few minutes as well. Choose a man to fight. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you will be our servants and serve us. And then listen to what Goliath says. I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Verse 11 is a very sad verse. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now, this is God's people. And on the words of a giant of a man and individuals who were already in trouble simply because of who they were, they're fearful. Now, what happened, David's three brothers were in the battle. And so David was back in the sheepfold. So David's father tells him, I want you to go. I want you to take some food to your brothers. And so David goes and he takes some food to his brothers. Um, and verse 15, David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. Verse 16, and the Philistine drew near morning excuse me, drew near and presented himself 40 days, morning and evening. So 40 days, two times a day, 80 times we got this giant Philistine tormenting the children of Israel. Have you ever heard the same thing over and over in your mind? You know, I don't know if you've heard this. I remember as a fairly new believer, I was single I was, I was genuinely born again. I loved God, but, man, I was struggling. I had no idea that the thoughts that come to me is my adversary lying to me. And I won't go into the details of it, but I called a friend, a man I had just met a few uh, several months before. I called him, and he told me. He gave me Scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Um uh, even though we walk in this physical body, the weapons of our warfare are not physical, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. What's a stronghold? A stronghold is a thought that has a stronghold on you. And it goes on and says, casting down imaginations or images. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing everything captive, every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And when he shared that with me and I began to act on that, it set me free. And, 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 and I, and I begin to speak against those and I begin to say, no, in Jesus' name, I will not take that. And so what we've got here, we've got a tormenting giant tormenting the armies of Israel day in and day out, 40 times, 40 days, 80 times. And they do nothing about it. But let's see what David does. In verse 20, David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with the keeper, and took the things and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to the fight and shouting for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper, ran to the army, and came and greeted his brothers. Then as he talked with them, there was the champion, the Philistine, Goliath of Gath, coming up from the armies of the Philistines. And I don't know if it's Philistines or Philistines, but I've pronounced it both ways today. Take your pick. And he spoke according to the same words. So David heard them so Goliath says I defy the armies of Israel this day send out a man to fight with me so David heard them let's see what David did and all the men of Israel when they saw the man they fled from him and were dreadfully afraid so the men of Israel said have you seen this man who has come up surely he's come up to defy Israel In verse 26, David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Goliath called it servants of Saul. He called it armies of Israel. But David said the armies of the living God. God. And he referred to Goliath as an uncircumcised Philistine. God said in the 17th chapter of Genesis, he said, I'm going to give a sign of the covenant, which is circumcision. And every male who has not been circumcised, he will be cut off from his people. David understood the covenant David understood that this Philistine, no matter how big he is in stature, he is not bigger than the living God. We have a covenant with God. God has entered into covenant with us. He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? That he should defy the armies of the living God. And so his brothers got on to him. That who, who do you think you are coming down here? And David says, is there not a cause? That's a great statement. Is there not a cause? This is a great cause. Now, let's look at verse, um, verse 31. When the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, and he sent for him. Then David said to Saul, I love this. Talk about boldness now david's just a teenager david's just a teenager he's a he's a sheep herder he keeps the sheep see we 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 count wrongly you know when god sent samuel to anoint a king you know he, he samuel even was looking on their stature god had to speak to samuel says don't look on their outward appearance god looks on the heart So David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Saul said to David, You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth, and he is a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep, and when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard, beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be the one will be like one of them because he had defied the armies of the living God. I'll be honest. If I had a choice of battling a lion, a bear, or a giant, I think I would choose the giant. But David had already seen that God had delivered into his hand the lion and the bear. Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go and the Lord be with you. He said, He will deliver me. He didn't say, Well, you know, if it's the Lord's will, I can do this. He said, He will deliver me. He understood. He knew God and he knew the covenant that he had with God. And so Saul said, Go with him, go and the Lord be with you. And Saul tried to get David to wear his armament. Saul was a tall dude. He was, uh, tradition says he was almost seven feet tall. So David, he puts on this armor and he said he had to put it off because he had not tested it, but he had tested God and he had found God faithful. See, we must test God. I don't mean test God foolishly, like jump off of buildings. But the way you properly test God is you hear what he says and you do what he says. And you prove over and over and over again that God is faithful. Then he took his staff in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook. And he put them in a shepherd's bag in a pouch, which he said... And his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. But so the Philistine came and began drawing near to David. And the man who bore the shield went before him. There's that phrase again, the man who bore the shield. David sees that here's Goliath, nine feet, nine inches tall. He's got a man carrying his shield But David knew that God had promised, I am your shield. The shield bearer may have had a big shield, but David had God as his shield. And his God was bigger than the shield bearer for Goliath. And so David, I believe David just stepped up his pace. He was more resolved. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? What do you mean sending this little stick out to fight with me? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. David knew his covenant. David knew that God had promised to Abraham I will curse him who curses you. So he heard this uncircumcised phil- Philistine who does not have a covenant with God. He heard him curse him, and he knew that because he, one of God's covenant people, being cursed, that God would curse him. He had greater resolve. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield or javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. That word in the Hebrew is Jehovah Sabaoth. And it means the Lord of warrior hosts or the Lord in manifested power. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, this day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand. And I will strike you. And I will take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp uh, camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the field that all of the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you Into our hands. So it was that when the Philistines arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and ran toward the armies to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag. He took out a stone and he slung it and struck the Philistine in the forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him, and there was no sword in his hand. So he barred a sword and cut off his head. Do you know why there was no sword in his hand? Because David had a sword in his mouth. He spoke. He spoke the word. He spoke the word. Somebody's put it like this. Don't run at your giant with your mouth closed. Speak the word. Now, we're not talking about fighting in the new covenant. We're not talking about physical individuals fighting. We're talking about our adversary. And it's, it's so important to understand what covenant is that God has brought us into a place of being, our, our position is in Him. I am in Christ. That is my identity. I have no other identity. I'm not even, I am human. Yes, I am. There's no question. But this place is not, is, is not what holds me. My citizenship is in heaven, according to the New Testament. My citizenship is in heaven. I'm of the family of God. And God is building His church out of every tribe, every kindred, out of every race, out of every ethnos, nation. And we're all brothers and sisters and we're all in Christ equally. And we get caught up in the clutter that the world wants to put off on us. But our position is in Christ. David's position was that he was a covenant man. He knew his God and he knew his covenant. Now how do we apply this? Learn the voice of the Father and learn the voice of the adversary. And learn all the minutia of thoughts that come to our mind and scoot them aside. Back when I learned how to bring my thoughts captive, I was, I was young. I was a new Christian. Thoughts were coming to me. Nita was working as a nurse at the time. She would be at work, and I would be studying. We were living at married student housing at, at the university that I was at in Tennessee. And I'd be studying. And just out of the blue, thoughts would come. You're going to die. Followed by, you're going to die today. And I I wasn't really worried about dying. I was in love with Jesus. My life had been redeemed. But I was concerned that Nita would come home and find me dead. So what would I do? I'd pack up my books and I'd go down to the university library not too far away. And I would study there. So if I'm going to die, at least Nita won't have to find me. I did that three or four times. So when I called my friend, he told me what was happening. And I began to say, no, in Jesus' name, I will not die. I am not going to die. Nita's not going to come home and find me. And there were so many times through the years I, I had a tumor growing in my armpit back in 1980. And uh, I, I won't, it, it would take too long. But I began to speak to that. God just showed me how Jesus spoke to the fig tree. And I began to speak to it. And, and I began to curse it. And over a period of a few days, it totally disappeared. If we could understand the principle, it's not, speaking what you want, it's speaking what the Bible says, it's speaking what the scriptures say. But dealing with these thoughts because we're captured by thoughts, we're captured by thoughts, we are supposed to take thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. So I want to encourage you, learn how to say. When I first learned how to speak the word of God against thoughts, I felt foolish, but I kept doing it because there was victory in it. It's not psyching yourself up. It's doing, there's so many places in the scripture that this is laid out. But it's because of a covenant that God established even before we were born. That God brought us into a position called in Christ. That he loves us. He's given us his inheritance. And it's a wonderful place. It's a wonderful place to be.